The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please join me in a word of prayer. Oh God, take my words and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them and take our will. Set them on fire for love of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Welcome to Christ the King. Please be seated. It's always a joy to gather together as the family of God on Christmas Eve. And uh, to those of you who are joining us online, a very warm welcome to you as well. We'll be focused on the first seven verses of a story that we know so well. Uh, but as a way to, to get into the story, I want to pose a question. If you had to pick one word to describe the year 2020, what would that word be? Some of you may be thinking of words that would not be appropriate for a church setting. That's okay. Uh, the word that I have thought about really for quite some time is the word arbitrary. Now, let me explain. Arbitrary refers to the cause behind why things happen. And usually something bad happens when someone says, that's such an arbitrary decision. What they mean is someone has made a decision and uh, the decision seems to have no reason. So arbitrary things happen by chance, by whim or impulse, as opposed to necessity, reason, or principle. Right? So uh, you know, all good definitions, you use the sentence word in a sentence. So to use the word arbitrary in a sentence, my children think that a large percentage of the rules in our household are arbitrary. They're, of course, wrong, but that's, uh, that is, uh, they, they might think that the rules have no basis, no, and they're just uh, made uh, by chance, whim, or impulse. Let me explain why. 
Arbitrary would be my chosen word for the year. So many difficult things have happened and I've, uh, it, it, for seemingly no good reason. And I know there's reasons. I'm just saying from, a pers- from my perspective, from the perspective of, mo- of most, many challenging things have happened and it's hard to discern the reason why. Uh, the spread of the pandemic has seemed from me, from my perspective, to be arbitrary. Again, I'm no medical professional, but I know plenty of people who have been very, very strict about their restrictions, very attentive, and yet have gotten sick. And I know some people who have been very cavalier and have not gotten sick. And so I look at the spread and I think, gosh, I just, I don't, I don't get it. It seems arbitrary. Who gets sick, who doesn't? Some of the restrictions have felt arbitrary. And again, it seems, uh, I trust there's good reason, but when one store is shut, one store is open, this group can gather, this group can't. It has a feeling of, of, of feeling arbitrary, like decisions being made that are just made whimsically or, or impulsively. I trust that's not the case, but that is how it has felt. Maybe to you as well. The impact of the pandemic on people's health has felt arbitrary. I know of some people who have become ill and I think and I look at them, I think, oh my goodness, that you seem to be the type of person at risk for this to be a really, really sobering, frightening diagnosis and and they come away with a case of the sniffles. And on the other hand, I know people and you know people fit as a fiddle who have been hit hard and become sicker and more and more sick even Yes, to the point of death. The, the impact has seen, seemed arbitrary. You know, most people can deal with difficult situations. All of us can deal with difficult situations. But when difficult situations also seem like arbitrarily difficult situ- situations, that's when they become doubly difficult. When the difficulties become, come for no reason, uh, seem to serve no purpose, those difficulties almost become unbearable. They really do. No one can deal with hardships that just seem to be arbitrary. And that is how this year has felt. Maybe to you on occasion, certainly to me on occasion. And if you can resonate even a slight bit with that assessment of this year, then I think our gospel reading has some good news. I want to turn our attention to there, and I want to draw three points for us, three words of encouragement that we can draw from this passage for any of us who have felt like the difficulties and the challenge of this life have come in our arbitrary fashion, serving no purpose and out of the blue. So what we're going to see in this pattern, this passage, and we're just going to focus on the first seven verses, we're going to see a promise. We're going to observe a pattern, and then finally, we're gonna conclude with a person. So, a promise. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, 
So all went to be registered, each to his own town. So the passage starts off the most monumental uh, verses ever recorded in history, the birth of the Savior. They begin with a, a decree from Caesar Augustus. We're not told why. Notice there's no explanation. And Caesar was building an aqueduct, for instance. No, we're not told. Uh, we're just told Caesar had an idea that he's going to have a census. And I, if we don't know, I can guarantee that Joseph and Mary were not let in on the secret. Caesar, I can guarantee, did not say, hey, Joseph, Mary, down in Galilee, I just want you to know we're going to have a census. It may be a little inconvenient for you, but, but here's the reason why, uh, just so you can know. I can guarantee that that did not happen. Now, you know the story. You know it's not an arbitrary, or you know behind this arbitrary decision there are other factors at work. Uh, you know that the, the anticipated savior was to come from the city of Bethlehem. So from Micah chapter 5 we read, But you, O Bethlehem, you who are little, from you shall come one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth shall be uh, from old, the ancient of days. So the seemingly arbitrary decree from Caesar moved the family from Nazareth to Joseph, or to Bethlehem. So the, the Christ child could be born in the, where he ought to be born. The distance between Nazareth, where they were, and Bethlehem, where the child was born, is about 70 miles. Mary is about eight to nine months pregnant. Uh, Joseph is a carpenter. There's no CARES Act. So as he goes and he leaves his work, there's no safety net. He loses whatever uh, income he would have been making. And so this arbitrary decree could have had significant negative impact on Mary and Joseph. And I wonder about the conversation that Joseph and Mary had on that 70-mile journey from one point to another. Do you think that Joseph and Mary said, hey, gosh, isn't this great? Off we go to Bethlehem in order to fulfill God's promises for his Savior to come into, I, I doubt that. If I were on that trip, I would be grumbling, complaining about the seemingly arbitrary, whimsical decisions uh, that have caused me and my family this hardship. Maybe Mary did a little bit better than the rest of us would do, but I, most of us would not be thanking God for his providential work through this arbitrary decree, all right? So there's a great definition of faith in Hebrews, and it says this, faith is the assurance of things that are not seen. Faith is the assurance that we don't know the whole story. Faith is the assurance that behind the arbitrary decrees of Caesar or anybody but behind the arbitrary stuff of life, there's another story. And that's what our story illustrates. You may know the old proverb. It's a, I think it's a Chinese uh, proverb, but it goes something like this. A man's had a horse, a horse ran, a, ran away. All the neighbors said, gosh, that's terrible. Neighbor says, who can say? Horse comes back carrying uh, three or four other horses. All of the neighbors say, isn't that great? Neighbor says, or farmer says, who can say? Son gets on the horse, horse bucks him, falls to the ground, breaks his leg. Neighbors say, that's terrible. Farmer says, who can say? Story goes on and on. One seemingly bad thing happens. Neighbors moan and groan. 
Farmer says, who can say? Some seemingly great thing happens and farmer says, who can say? It proves a simple point and that is we don't know the whole story. None of us. And Christian faith instructs us that there are other things going on that meets the eye. And that is helpful for you and me to remember when life throws us things that seem to be just completely arbitrary. You don't know the whole story. You never will know the whole story this side of eternity. And so that is the important truth that this passage teaches you and me when we encounter things that seem to be arbitrary. That there is another force at work, not the blind hand of fate, but the loving hand of your heavenly Father, unseen, unnoticed. So that's our first point. To our second point, we move from a reassuring truth to a reassuring pattern. And the pattern is simply this, that God never works in the ways that you think he's going to work. He chooses really, really strange things to bring about his purposes. The Bible says that he chooses the weak things of the world to overcome the strong, the things that are not to overcome the things that are. He chooses, uh, he chooses Moses, a stuttering servant, to lead his people. He chooses a young shepherd boy named David to overcome a giant. He uses plagues and war and defeat to call his people back to him. And here, at the turn of history, as the Savior of the world enters human history, he does so through a decree of an autocratic leader and an impoverished family who end up, of all places, sleeping in a manger. Or the child ends up sleeping in a manger. His, his first bed is of straw. His first throne room is a stable. It's just not what you and I would expect. And this is the consistent theme throughout Scripture. Remember one of the things I said was challenging about arbitrary? is when suffering seems to serve no purpose. And this story reminds us that that is just not the case. That there is a redemptive thread through the sufferings of God's people. And you see it preeminently in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is because of the impoverished family. It is because of the decree of Caesar Augustus that the family, that those beautiful things that happen on Christmas Eve, the cattle lowing, the sheep bleeding, uh, or whatever sheep do, that only happens if you get the decree. Bob Dylan wrote in what I think is his best album, Time Out of Mind, he wrote that behind every beautiful thing there's been some kind of pain. And, and that's what you see. You see the redemptive purposes of suffering. And you see it here in the manger. And of course, you see it explicitly in bold colors in the cross. When Jesus would again seemingly be the victim of arbitrary decisions. Out of envy, religious leaders would turn him in. Out of cowardice, the governing officials would condemn him to death. And so there is Jesus who started naked in a manger due to the autocratic decree of some guy. And here he is again, naked on a cross. But that's how God worked. And that's how God brought about his salvation, the most beautiful thing that he has ever done. 
came via the cross. And that is helpful to remember when you and I are dealt things that we, just, we think are just arbitrary. We think this there is no purpose. No, we don't know what the purpose is. You may never, but this passage assures us there is a pattern that suffering in Christ serves a purpose. You know that famous passage in Romans chapter eight, that all things work to the good for those who love God and are called by his purposes. And we see that principle, we see that pattern in the passage this evening. So third and final, we've seen a reassuring truth. We've seen a pattern. And third and final, a person. And this really is the, the, the point, isn't it? The point of the whole story is that the Lord Jesus, God in the flesh, comes and dwells with us. God becomes vulnerable, a babe lying in a manger. There's an old Paris Pettis song, a child who played with the moon and stars, waves a snatch of hay in a common barn. God became vulnerable. He entered our world of flesh and blood and tears and death. And it's simply the reminder that you and I are never, ever, ever alone. Never. That God knows what it feels like to be subject to things that seem arbitrary. You're never alone. Michael Gerson, a columnist, Following the loss of his mother, wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post. And he talks about the poignancy of having uh, first holidays without a parent. He talks about the sense of exile and loneliness. And he comes to the Christmas story. He says, what if it's true? And by the way, he believes it is true. But what if it is true? What if the story that God become flesh and Jesus in the manger, what if it's true? And he writes this. It means that God became weak and vulnerable. He understands weakness and vulnerable, vulnerability. It means that God is with us, that he is for us, even when we feel forsaken, especially when we, we feel forsaken. It means that our lonely souls can find a home in Bethlehem. And so the story reminds us of God in the flesh, weak and vulnerable, like you and me. And he is here. He is here for you. And he is eager to hear you call to him. So let me conclude. My word of the year. It has felt arbitrary. Do I believe it's arbitrary? No, I don't. And here's why because I believe that there are other things that meets the eye at all times. And that you and I will never know the full story, not until we get to the, our eternal home. Then we'll see. Then we'll see the threads of history woven together. This passage teaches us of the redemptive purposes of suffering for the follower of Christ, that all things will work for good. It did in the manger, it did on the cross, and it does for you. Finally, this passage 
reassures us of a person, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, became weak and vulnerable, and he is for you, and he is with you. Amen.